Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Everybody survived school this week if it was your first week. Surviving. I'm sure there's a lot of emotions, a lot of tired kids, and... uh just know that God will give you grace in all of that, okay? Take it a day at a time. Don't get so far ahead. But don't stay up so late the night before that it costs you in the morning. That's the one thing I learned, you know, like, man, if I really want to get up early and I want to read and I want to pray and I want to be focused, I better be disciplined about what time I go to sleep. Everybody that works and has to get up at 3.30, 4 in the morning, you know the drill, Right? But it's the same thing with those things spiritual. If we want to make those things a priority, we have to be disciplined on the flip side. Have you ever told your friends, hey, I got to go home. I got to get up and pray and read the word in the morning. We say that for work. We say that for other commitments. But is that a priority in our life just like everything else? Not usually, right? If we have the energy, if we just so happen we get up early enough. We just so happen to make the coffee three times as strong. Will we do it? Okay. So just making a, you know, making sure that you know, man, that those things are a priority. So today we're going to look at, you know, I was praying this week. I said, God, what is something that you really want us to focus on? It's not. It's so difficult for me when I'm not in the middle of a series because that forces me to say, okay, I got the whole Word of God to pick from. And that's one of the greatest challenges I have, because you can talk about anything. You can talk about love, you can talk about faith, you can talk about forgiveness. Well, what God put on my heart this week was talking about God's power, okay? It's something that I think is very, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pinnacle of everything that we stand for. You know, I think understanding God's power being released in our life and what it is, it is critical to our success as Christians. If we don't understand the power of God, We'll usually water it down, and we won't expect God for big, powerful things. But what we believe to be true determines how we respond and how we see God and our perception of God, right? We've talked about this before. You know, sometimes we see, we see big, big devil and little bitty God, and that's how the enemy wants us to see it. But we need to see in the reality of little bitty, bitty devil and real, real big God, okay, and the power of God that comes with it. Okay, you have to understand, you know, the nature of who God is, just like I'm a father to my children. If you were to lay hands on my children or you were striving to cause them harm, I might not be a pastor that day because they are my responsibility. I will I will defend them with my last breath. I'm serious. Okay, so that's my nature. So think about God's nature. Is he not so much more serious about that when the enemy tries to uh affect his children in a way that's very, very personal. So 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And some say a sound mind, right? You know, so why would we receive a powerful testimony of Christ but deny its power to completely transform us? You know, we believe in this, this powerful testimony, right, of Jesus as he, as he spread his hands and he, you know, he was crucified on a cross. That man, he just didn't, he suffered, he bled, he died, but he didn't stay buried. There was power that was released, power that was available through the, through the cross. 
And this is a powerful, powerful testimony. But some of us think that as far as it goes is a salvation experience and we stop there and say, hey, well, thank God I'm going to heaven. Because even just that process, think of that process, that life-changing salvation moment where you came to the knowledge of who Christ was. That was a powerful moment, right? You begin to say, see the way you think changes. You, you begin to see that your heart changes. You're more passionate about the things of God, right? But there was power in that. So we don't want to be Christians that, you know, receive this powerful testimony of who Christ was, but we deny its power. So, so let, me, let me highlight that just a little bit. So when I'm talking about denying its power, we are just watering it down rather than seeing it for how it really is in the magnitude of his power that is available. I remember when I was younger, my dad bought a truck from my uncle and it was souped up. It was a high performance V8, Eidelbrock head. It was, a, it was built to be a racing truck. All the women said, let's talk about something else. So check this out. This thing, it was super awesome. I don't know if you know what posi track is. It causes both tires to spin at exactly the same time. When you engage the brakes, there was a little switch in there. It would not engage the wheels until you took your foot off the brake, and then that posi track would kick in. So you've ever seen in the movies where they're revving it up, redlining? For all you movie watchers, somebody's watched something about that, right? You know, where you rev that motor up, whoo. Well, what happens with that posi track system, soon as, you, as long as the brake is engaged, it'll rev up to the RPM. Soon as you release the brake, so you're kind of using the two-foot method. You're holding the brake down with one, keeping it locked. You rev the engine, and as soon as you disengage that pedal, buddy, it is on. Tires screeching, out of control, pedal to the metal, right? So in that truck, I remember there being so much horsepower for a 16-year-old just got my license. That thing was dangerous for me. I think I drove it twice. One, I might have had permission. The second one, maybe not. But I remember my dad telling me, we can't drive it unless we put a steel sheet in the back of that truck because there is so much power in that vehicle, it will spin the backside right out from under you. I could make the tire screech when I'm going 40 miles an hour and then I would floor it. That much torque and that much horsepower, you're, I'm not talking from stopped, I'm talking at 40 miles an hour, and then you hit that pedal and it's, all of a sudden it kicks into this hyperdrive gear. What? You know, you've been to the races, mud races, and it is so loud, you have to have earplugs. That's what it would do. And, and I'm, it was so much fun. You would hit that and it would kick you back in your seat and it would take off. There was so much power. So think about that process. Uh, that, that power was always available in that vehicle. But it does nothing by itself. It took something of me to release that power, right? If I'm just sitting there looking at, oh, yeah, it's great. What did I have to do? You have to open the door. You have to sit down. You have to get the keys. You have to turn the engine on. It requires movement on my part. It requires something of me to tap into that power. But the power is always available. It always is. Some of us keep that power locked up in the garage and we never let it out to do what it is designed to do. That truck was made to be powerful and to go fast. It was made for street racing, I guess. We didn't keep it very long. It's probably a good thing. But I remember that. You know, I know these V8 trucks and some of these, you know, little souped up four cylinders, how they're building them now. It's like this had no comparison to this big block V8 that would probably rip the axles off 
of these four-cylinder little China-made vehicles. So much power that it almost wasn't safe, right? So God's power is just like this, and he requires us to do something to tap into his power. It requires some kind of movement from us. You know, God's power comes when we accept the Father's greatest gift, which is his son, Jesus Christ. But it requires some type of movement from us to be able to tap into it. I got a quick little video clip for you guys this morning. As I've said before, in the rooms around the sanctuary, we've had to install motion detector lighting because people were leaving lights on and it was costing too much electricity bills. And, and so we had to do something. So we installed motion detector lighting. You walk in the room, the light pops on. You walk out of the room, the light goes off so that we're not wasting electricity with folk leaving lights on. You walk in, the light comes on. You walk out, the light goes off. There's power in the room. There's light to get in the room. But it will not manifest itself until it detects movement. If there is no movement, that doesn't mean there's no power. That doesn't mean there's no light. That means that you haven't given it any motion. You haven't triggered it. God is real. God has power. God makes promises. But you won't see it until he sees motion. If there is no motion, it lies dormant. Although it's really there. You guys get that? So faith is what? Faith is acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so. Why? Simply because God said so. So that takeaway from there, man, there is everything is available. But until we put the vehicle in gear, until we turn the key, we will never see that power released. There has to be movement on our part. God just doesn't come in and do things, even though he's willing and the ability is there. It's readily available. But will we tap into it? Will we trigger it? Will there be motion that, re- that causes power to be released in our lives? You know, God is in the business of completely transforming lives. He doesn't want these, you know, just what I call, you know, man, right over the line Christians that just receive salvation and that's the extent of their experience. They die, they go to heaven, but that's it. They're not, they're not continually believing God for, for, uh, for strongholds to be broken, for addictions to change. We, all we're doing is, we're, is we're, getting, we're getting fire insurance so we won't go to hell. God's plan is so much bigger than that. There's so much more power available that we're just not tapping into. It's like seeing the truck. I have the truck, it's there. I have salvation, it's there. But when I engage it, when I plug into it, when I release faith, which is the key that releases power in our lives, all of a sudden, everything begins to change. It allows me to do things beyond my ability. And that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. He wants to release a measure of power that that is, is beyond our ability, that is beyond our control so that we might become all that God has called us to be. So think about that salvation experience. You know, what, what does God do? Does God forgive and then just say, good luck, guys. I'll see you when you get to heaven. No? That's right, buddy. Somebody's listening. So that ain't what he does, right? 
You know, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. So he gives you a new heart and he gives you a spirit that he deposits inside of you. And it says, I will remove. That is God doing the removing. That's not us trying to get it out of our lives. It says, I will remove from your heart from a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And it says, and I will, referring to God again, this is what God is gonna do in our lives. He says, I will put my spirit in you. And look at this next part, it says, and move you to follow my decrees and and be careful to keep my laws. So the Spirit of God, it moves us. We, that word move, that is motion. That is something that is required. It is an active thing that we are continually moving. When I just stand here, there is zero movement. Movement requires force. It requires momentum. It requires something on your part. You know, you hear a lot of times, well, God does this, God does that. God does very little apart from you being involved in the process. If I'm hard-headed and I don't want to come to church and I stayed up too late and I want to sleep in, guess what? I've never seen God pick me up and throw me out the door and send me to church. Maybe some of you have, and that's why you're here every Sunday. You're like, it was a bad, it was a bad Sunday that I wanted to skip that, right? I've never seen God do that. If I want to be lazy, God will let me sometimes be there for a little bit. Might not pay the bills. I might lose a job. I might, you know, there's certain things that that affects in my life. A spirit of excessive laziness. Notice I said lazy, not resting, okay? There's there's a difference between those two. Resting is recovering because of my work. Lazy is just being lazy because I did no work. Make sure we separate the two. You know, I don't think God ever justifies being lazy. I think he wants us to be diligent. He wants us to be uh, good managers of our time here on the earth. But that moving us towards, that requires something of us. I don't know if you've ever heard it said that, man, you know, it's a lot easier to to turn and direct a moving vehicle rather than a vehicle standing still. You ever tried to push a car that's, or tried to turn a car that's parked, right? If you start pushing it, you can actually turn it a little. It's still difficult. Because what's ideal is that the power of God is also united with the ability of that vehicle to drive. When that, when that vehicle is turned on, everything becomes easier. I don't know if you guys know what a power steering pump does. It causes your steering wheel to turn very, very easy. If that power steering pump goes out, and you're going to have to put every bit of whatever weight you got to turn that steering wheel. Your brake systems run because the engine's running, brake fluid runs through your whole system to make the brakes work more efficiently. If the the power is not turned on and the vehicle is not running, you'll find yourself doing a lot of stuff within your own strength rather than the strength of God doing it for you. And you're gonna get tired because that's not how God wants it. He doesn't want the power coming from yourself. He wants the power being released from him and to accomplish what he has designed it to accomplish. Some of you say, well, I'm tired. No, man, I've just been working. You've been doing it on your own. Well, yeah, big dummy. That's not how God wanted you to do it. He wanted you to co-labor with him, right? He wanted you to be alongside him, him doing the heavy lifting, you walking in obedience. That's all he asks of you. God wants immediate obedience. He wants you to follow his instructions. He wants you being in line with what he's leading you to. It's him that does the work. It's him that moves you. It's him that replaces your heart. It's him that renews the spirit within us to become Christ-like. 
He makes us Christ-like. His word says that he takes that heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He makes us sensitive to the things of God. And he puts his spirit inside of us. It says that we are no longer a slave to sin, but slaves unto righteousness. Any of you guys ever been addicted to something? I'm not asking you to tell me what it is. But think about it. Addicted to something, something that you've tried to change or something that you noticed became an addiction, you are a slave to that because you cannot master it. It has mastered you. So that's what he's talking about. Something that you, do, you, know, that you deal with personally, that's what he's talking about, a slave to sin. You, you can't help but sin. So what he's saying, I have, I have, you, are, you are no longer a slave to sin, but he pulls us and he takes us over here and he says, now I have made you a slave to righteousness where you can't help but be right because of the righteousness within your life. You cannot help but be right. Man, that's kind of messed up because all I've ever known is how to be wrong. But that's what, what happens when God comes in and he removes something that's of ourselves, of the flesh, of the sinful nature, and he replaces it with something of his spirit and his nature, his righteousness. You start doing things right. So evaluate your life. If you're still doing a whole lot of things wrong, you might say, Lord, I don't know if you left a part of me from my past or whatever, but I need to get rid of that. Take it away, Lord, and cause me to be righteous, right before God. If you're doing things right, there's probably righteousness within you. You are a sin to righteousness. If you're still pursuing sin and you have a desire to sin, that is the old nature. We have to understand that there is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit, but we have to understand we are no longer a slave to the flesh, but we are a slave to the spirit. We are pursuers of righteousness, not pursuers of sin. Anybody got an amen out there? So say this with me this morning. You got that little thing up there? It's God's power that changes me. You guys say that together. It's God's power that changes me. It's not you that changes yourself. That's something that I'm really going to pound this morning because I want you walking away remembering that phrase. It's God's power. It's what God does that changes me. Many of us, we want to we have trophies of the success in our life, right? Look what I've done. Look what I've com- accomplished. Look at, look at this area of sin that I freed myself from. That works sometimes, but that's usually not how it works. It is God that removes those things in our life, and there should be trophies of the goodness of God and the power of God being released in our life. Because it's just willpower otherwise. What happens when your willpower runs out? Back to right where you started, right? We don't want willpower. We want the power of God to completely remove those things where they are no longer even present. If it's not, you know, we got any bluebell lovers? How many of you guys know if the bluebell is in the fridge, there is a temptation to go get that bluebell? You're totally full after dinner, but you know bluebell's there. And it would be so appealing to be like, man. Cookies and cream, Rocky Road, whatever your vanilla, whatever your preference is, right? What happens when the bluebell is not in the house? There is no longer a temptation because it's not present. Like, I don't like that illustration. I'm not saying get rid of bluebell. What I'm using this as an illustration is if sin is in your life and it is right there, there's always the opportunity to go back to it. 
But if it is completely removed and severed from your life and it is no longer in the house, the enemy can no longer tempt you with that because it is not present. When it is present, you have to fight it with willpower. But God's power is saying, let me have that. And he throws it as far as he can and he completely removes it from your life. Where it no longer will even tempt you. Because it's not even present anymore. You say, man, I used to deal with that. I used to love Bluebell every evening. Well, God just removed it. Right? Sins are like that in our life. Our flesh, man, is, it enjoys those things, but God removes them and we figure out, man, I don't even struggle with it. Why, do I, why don't I struggle with that anymore? Because God's power has completely removed it from the equation. What do some of us do, though? We don't allow the power of God to be released in our life and we play pretend, right? I'm gonna pretend that bluebell's not there. That bluebell's not there, but it's so good. I still want it. Okay, the bluebell's not there. And at some point... The bluebell will win if it stays where it's, not, where it's not supposed to be or if it's readily available. Y'all are never going to eat bluebell and be the same again. You'll always remember, oh, Lord, help me. Salvation, it's not the end, but it's only the beginning of a complete life makeover that God wants to take us through. How many of you guys really have enjoyed the, the TV shows, the, the, the fixer-upper Chip and Joanne, and then you have the Extreme Makeover, the Biggest Loser type TV shows. How many of y'all have enjoyed those? What's so appealing about them? They take something that, you know, you look at it at face value, and it didn't look like much. Right? You're just like, man, you know, just, throw, just mow the whole house down and start over, right? But they come in, and they see the potential in every single home. They also have an unlimited budget which I'm learning, it's like, man, how do you do all that? Lots of money, baby, right? But you see, they take something broken and damaged and wore down, and then they see the potential in it, and it, come, it goes from, from ashes and rags to riches. It turns into something beautiful, right? You know, the, the other one that is... Uh, um, the extreme makeover, you know, where they come and they come alongside people that, that can't afford to do it. You know, they have, you know, bad, you know, if this is a little bit older show. My wife was like, that's an old show. The principle still holds true, right? They would go and they would help these people with lots of kids or just they can't make it. And you'd have this huge community of people. And what do they say? Move that bus. And what you saw before and they move it and now all of a sudden it's just like, man, Look what has been done, a transformation experience, something that you didn't even imagine. Sometimes it looks like they built a whole new house. Like, man, I didn't realize it could be like that. You know, these also the biggest loser challenge. You see life-changing results. Somebody that couldn't together, that, that had weight issues, and all of a sudden they get serious, they get determined. You know, there is prize money. They want to be the biggest loser, which is always like, to me, such a weird name. Biggest loser, yes. But it's something they're driven by. They have a goal. And how many of you guys have seen you cheering on those who are like, man, you can make it, you can do it. And you get super excited week, week to week as you see their lives unfold. You see the transformation of their lifestyle that drastically changes. A life of chaos and undisciplined to discipline, to structure, to weight loss, to, to, to great health. 
But sometimes God wants us to go through that process also. We don't want to just sit in our living room and live through the glory of other people's experiences. Power that's released in this transformation. But God wants each of us to adapt our own personal transformation. He wants us to to come to that place of where his power is released in our life and we are forever changed. I'm going to read this passage, Romans 6, 1 through 14. I'm going to cruise through it kind of quick. It's a lot of text, but I think it really paints a good picture of what God does in our life. Romans 6, 1 through 14. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse 3, it says, or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. And this is where it gets really cool. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so so that the body of sin might be done away with. And that is an awesome, powerful testimony. It says that we, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8, now if we died in Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ has risen from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is where it gets personal. So in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but you are under grace. This totally changes everything. Living under grace rather than under the law. The law is going to call you guilty and sinful, deserving of death. But God offered grace through the price of his son. And and allows us by the power of God to be transformed, where we are no longer uh, slaves to sin but slaves unto righteousness. This was the ability that Jesus Christ allowed. Psalms 84, 11, it says, no good thing do I withhold from those whose walk is blameless. That blameless is the kicker. What does blameless mean? That means that there is nothing that is not right before God. I have become made righteous, but we have to understand the power of the blood, the power of the cross, that allows me to be blameless. Because if I evaluate my life and says, has Noe done everything right his whole life? Absolutely not. Without the blood, I'm guilty. Without the blood, I'm deserving of death. But the blood, the atonement sacrifice of the blood covering my life has made me righteous. It has caused me to be in right standing with who God is. And if I am blameless before God, and my walk is blameless, when we walk it out, those are our choices, to be Christ-centered, to be Christ-like. 
But when my walk is blameless, that scripture says that there is no good thing that Father God will not withhold from me. So that means all of these promises are available to me. All of these blessings are available to me. Now, I'm not a blessings kind of preacher that says, oh, prosperity, this is all going to be good. There is always a condition to receive the blessing. There is a requirement. But if you are a son, if you are a daughter, you are entitled to everything that the father has. My, my children greatly benefit from who I am. If it's mine, it's theirs. I have a home, therefore they have a home. They eat well, I eat well, so therefore they eat well, right? Everything that they have provision of is because it comes from the Father. And there is no good thing that I withhold from them. So if I would not withhold anything from my natural children, how much more would God not withhold those for his sons and his daughters in his house? He, he saves the best things for us. But I tell you what, the devil wants to keep us over here on this side thinking that we have to earn it, that we have to work for it, and we're not deserving of it. And that is one of the biggest things that the enemy, if you will believe that lie, will prevent you from receiving a lot of things that God has for you. He really will. He'll, he'll just say, oh, man, man you, remember your, man, you remember all the stupid decisions you made back then? You don't deserve that. And if I start thinking that, I believe that, and then when I believe that, that becomes my reality. So a man thinks, therefore he is. So I have to allow the word of God to be what transforms my mind, that aligns my belief system. I have to know that when my walk is blameless before God, there is no good thing that he withholds from me. He gives us everything that we need to be, all that God has for me. So let's say this one more time this morning. It's God's power that changes me. One more time, like you really, really believe it. It's God's power that changes me. It's not of yourself, okay? So when we give God our lives, he renews our spirit within us to have the same nature and desires as he does. We become more and more Christ-like in this process, okay? You have to choose to believe or not. But, you know, but it's God's power that works out every detail that causes you to be all that he wants you to be. I mean, I think we're super concerned about messing it up. But what if I don't do everything right? What if I make the wrong decisions? Man, we have to allow God to work in our lives or we will mess it up. But I feel like if we co-labor with Christ, if we allow him the rightful place in our lives, we'll get more stuff right than we'll get wrong. Hey, but, but, but messing up or making wrong decisions, that just helps mature us. And hopefully we're not riding the merry-go-round. Been here before, been here before, been here before. And we keep going around on that crazy side and we're like, man, what in the world? Get off the merry-go-round. You ain't going nowhere and you keep spinning in the same exact circle. But we get on that ride. That's not God's will to stay on that merry-go-round, to take the long way around. God wants, it, wants us to be efficient. He wants us to be focused. He wants our eyes fixed on him. He wants his power to be released in our lives. Philippians 2, 12 through 13, it says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act, to, to act according to his good purpose. So it is God who works it in you. It's not yourself. It's not something that we conjure ourselves up. You know, um, you know, fitness coaches are great. You know, they encourage you to be all you can be, but you've got to lift the weight. 
they don't get under and say, oh, let me help you. Right? But they encourage you, but you have to realize you are the one that has to do the, do the, do the work. You have to do it. Okay? But it's God that partners with us. It's God that encourages us, right? You know, and it's by His power that we will prevail. Only by His power. I know one of the biggest things, we try to fix ourselves. We try to do it ourselves. It's something that uh, really causes us to cripple ourselves. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, It is for grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. Verse 9, it says, Not by works so that no one can boast. So what is that pointing out? That is saying, man, if it was based on my own effort and what I contributed, maybe I could boast more than you. Or maybe you could boast more than me and say, well, look at me, you know, kind of look what I've accomplished. The way that God has set it up is where he receives all of the glory. And he causes no man to boast. If man is doing it within his own strength, it's going to only be a matter of time until he fails miserably. Same for you women. I know I went male-focused, but same thing for you women. You think you can hold it together and you can drug, juggle family and work and all the clothes and all of the stresses. We're back to school. I got to get up early. My kids are staying up late. I am freaking out emotionally and I cannot handle it. If that is where you're at and you're fighting it by yourself, it's just a matter of time until you completely flip out. I've seen that weight almost destroy my wife in seasons. To where she just, man, more, more requirements, more requirements, more requirements. And then sometimes I'm not nice and I'm like, well, what about me? Where's my clothes? Why are not my clothes washed? And I don't realize the, the weight of what she's doing. And that was just like the pushed it over the edge. And usually it's my fault if she gets to that place of just like ah, all these unrealistic expectations. And, you know, man, it's just an over. But that is when she fights by herself. That's when she gets to the full capacity of what Becky can do. But that's not what God wants. He wants, uh, he, wants him, he wants God to be our strength. It's him that gets the glory. As a mom, if you keep your composure and you don't strangle your kids, it's only by the grace of God. Because I wanted to, right? We get to that place. I was a son, too, before I was a father. I, you know, and I would think I would instigate it. Push my mom and listen, man, let's see how crazy we can make her. <laughs> Sorry, mom. You know, it, it's, but, we, but we think, apart from the grace of God and God's strength and God's power in our life, we are going to fail. It's just a matter of time. This is one of my favorite scriptures, Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live this daily in faith. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. So today, you need to know, man, that you cannot save yourself, and you are in dire need of, of who God is, a God who rescues, who redeems, who restores. He transforms us from being broken and makes us whole. There is no one outside of his reach that he cannot save. 
This morning, maybe you're saying, Noe, I went too far. I've done too many things wrong. Well, I want to introduce you to a redeemer that'll fix all of that. All it takes is the choice to surrender and give up and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I have tried with every emotional strain, with every ounce of my energy, and I cannot do it. And that's when God steps in. Romans 7, 15 through 20, this is where Paul talks about, you know, the struggle in the flesh. I'm not going to read it, but you guys can go back and read it if you want. But this is where Paul talks about the struggle. He says, you know, for what I want to do, I don't do, but I hate what I do. There's this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. You know, a desire to do the things of God, but yet the sinful nature that falls within the flesh, and there's this constant battle that's going on. Let me tell you what, if Paul struggled with it, Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to struggle with it. If anybody had enough grace, had enough strength, was, was more Christ-like, it was Paul. And yet he had this struggle. He had this, this, this fight for his life, his, this fight for this balance of pursuing the things of the Spirit and not reverting back to the things of the flesh, the things of the sinful nature. There was this war that was waging for the saving of his soul. But through the power of God, we can remain steadfast with the things of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, this is where it talks about, you know, that, uh, that Paul, you know, he has a thorn in his flesh. I don't know if some of you guys have, have read that, but uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, it says, you know, he had a thorn in my, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And this is what he says. He says, three times I pled with the Lord to take it from me. Three times he pled with the Lord, and this is what the Lord said. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, and this is the key. He says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Man, nobody likes to be weak. Nobody likes to be at that place of where I need help. I can't even stand unless somebody helps me. But that is where God says, I perfect myself in amongst weakness. So then Paul gets to that place. He says, well, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now that what he does there, he just owns his weakness. He says, I know these areas I'm weak. These areas I know that I need the grace of God. I need the power of God released. But I know that in that weakness, that is where God perfects his power. So we go back to the beginning of that verse. Why did God allow this? Verse 7. To keep me from becoming conceited. That's the key. Because if I'm over here working on myself and I'm doing all these things good, what do I begin to do? Man, no, he's been doing pretty good lately. Look, I don't need God. But God has a way of humbling us, of weakening us to see that within our own ability, apart from the power of God released in our lives, we fail miserably. And he just doesn't leave us there, but he uses that to release his power in our lives, to keep us from being conceited. Have you guys ever got right on that fringe of that conceited, arrogant, prideful, like, hey, look what I just did? Yeah? No? Everybody has at some point. My, my son, I'm really trying to teach him what pride and arrogance looks like. He'll say, he'll say something like, look, Dad, that's way better than my sister's, right? 
yeah, dude, you're like twice the age. Like, give them a few years, son. But I feel like it's that prideful, like boasting, like, hey, look at me. Right? You know, it's just this arrogant, you know, which I pray to God, he grows out of that where he begins to give God glory for his smarts, his intelligence, his giftings, his talents. My son is very gifted. But the only reason that's there is because of the grace of God. And he has equipped him for, to do a good work. And I pray that as he grows, we see what that is. And, we, and Becky and I continually release him in all that God has called him to. But I might have to get that belt after him to break that pride a little bit. Because we can all get there very easily. But God will humble us. He will cause things to happen that don't allow us to become conceited. And that is for our benefit. Because we would just get so bubbled head, we'd open both these doors and some of you couldn't get in. So take them around back and then try it again. Right? God will have a way of humbling us. He doesn't want us to become conceited. But faith is the key that, that releases the power of God into our lives. You know, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. Let's say this phrase one more time. It's God's power that changes me. One more time. It's God's power that changes me. Philippians 4.13. Who knows what this passage says? I can do all. I can do all things by myself and I don't need God to do it. Is that what it says? Maybe that's how some of us read it, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Who is this him we're talking about? God alone. Right? Because we are going to come to the end of 10 through 11. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies uh, by the same spirit living inside of you. So what this is, is saying is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives right inside of you. And if we tap into that God-given power, man, there is no telling what you can accomplish. But the enemy of this world doesn't want you to believe that. He doesn't want you to know that. But God has given us the key, which is his son. He's given us the ability by his Holy Spirit, which lives within and in faith, all we have to do is crank that key and, hey, man, the rest will take care of itself. But it requires something of us. Ephesians 3.16, this was a prayer. It said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I believe that this is a prayer that God prays over each and every single one of us that he wants to strengthen you with power through his spirit in the inside of you, at the core of who you are, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And it says, and I pray for you uh, being rooted and established in love. And that, that first part of verse 18, it says, that you may have power. Zechariah 4, 6 says, not by power, not by might, but only by my spirit. Many of us are working within our own strength. We are not unleashing the power of God into our situations, into our lives, into our homes, into our marriage, into our parenting, and we are failing miserably because we're going to come to the end of ourselves where we can't do it. We are relying within our own abilities and our own strengths. We are not releasing the power of God in our situations. 
but it's not our own power and our own determination, but it's releasing the power of God into our lives that forever changes us. Let's say this one more time. It's God's power that changes me. One more time. It's God's power that changes me. So today in closing, I want each of you to make a choice to allow the power of God to be released in your life. And that Father God would do the work that only He can do that we are so incapable of doing. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.